Today's reading comes from Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 11. Uh, Becca, I'm going to go just go ahead and read this. Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimram, Jokshan, Midian, Midian, Ishbak, Shuan, Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashuram, Lashim, and Lashimin. The sons of Midian were Ephrath, Ephraim, Hanak, Abida, and Aleda. All these were the children of, of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living. He sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days and the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael's sons, uh, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephraim, the sons of Zorah, the Hittite, east of Mamre. The field uh, that Abraham purchased from the Hittites, there Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed his son Isaac, um, blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Laharoi. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I already said this because two weeks ago I had, was preaching on the funeral of Sarah and today I'm preaching on the funeral of Abraham that sovereignty of God is a great, is a great comfort because that is just where the scriptures were leading. I didn't tailor make that. Isn't it incredible to know that God knows where you're at personally? He knows what's going to happen before we do. And he's already set up things. This last Sunday, thank you so much, by the way, to Dennis, who, Dennis and Josh, who filled in for me while I was over in North Dakota. That's where I'm from. Um, and my niece, my youngest niece of my oldest sister, um, was graduating high school. As she was graduating, I recognized that it was 20 years to the day that I graduated. Man, our, our life goes so fast. It was Memorial Day this last Monday. And while we were over there, my father, Ronald Fisher, he is buried in the cemetery over there. He was a Vietnam veteran, a sergeant in the Vietnam War. And, he, and for that distinction, he was given the honor of being married, buried in the war memorial in that cemetery. Um, last time I was preaching, we went over the burial of Sarah, the princess, who from her would come princes and kings. Today we lay to rest a father. Abram was his given name at birth and it meant exalted father. God gave him the name Abraham. That means father of nations. And hopefully you caught in the very beginning of these verses that with his other children by Keturah, they sounded very familiar if you're familiar with the Old Testament. You're like, aren't those nations? They are nations. In the fullness of time, many nations called them, trace their origin back to Abraham. But even within his grandchildren's times, there are nations who drew their lineage back to Abraham. God had made him a father of nations. Today we finish the story of Abraham, but truly we don't finish the story of Abraham, just his part in the sermon series. 
His actual story does not stop here, but it goes on. It goes on and on and on and on, past the destruction and rebirth of the earth himself. His story will continue when he is raised from the dead and will dance on the streets of gold with you and me. So last time on Patriarchs, Abram, a sun-worshipping pagan from the Ur of the Chaldees, hears the voice of God in Mesopotamia telling him to look to leave and venture from what is known and comfortable to the unknown. If he had stayed in Ur the Chaldees, he would have been safe. He would have lived a comfortable life. But because he chose, although be it he took a while before he was in total obedience, he followed God. He lived a heroic life, a good life, a life ultimately of fulfillment. Since we are ending this portion of his story, let's look at his life. He ventures into hostile territory where safety is not ensured. He fought and won a war that five other kings couldn't do. He had seen God in a way that truly, if you and I were in his shoes, we'd be quaking in our boots to really think about it. See, we don't even understand that because we live on the other side of the Testament where the curtain of the temple has been torn in two so we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. He lived in a time where to connect with God was something truly awesome and amazing. He spoke with God with such candor that would make you and I quake in our shoes. Most importantly, though, in chapter 15, verse 6, it says, He believed the Lord and counted to him, it was counted to him as righteousness. You should me memorize scripture. Everyone here can memorize scripture. I don't care how old you are. Some of our young people, they are getting to work memorizing entire books of the Bible. And that's awesome. I'm excited. One verse every single one of us should memorize is Genesis 5, 6. And you can memorize it as is in Genesis or memorize it as it's, as it's quoted rest in the scripture that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This has been described as the Mount Everest of the Old Testament. And if there is one thing to say about Abraham today, it's this. As he has finished his race, he has fought the good fight, he has kept the faith, is that he believed God and it was cred to him as righteousness. And the judge of all the living and the dead awarded him the crown of righteousness. I do believe it's... I can't be tone deaf to what has happened this week to mention that our sister Hyla has also gone on to her reward. And today she has the crown of righteousness, which is for all those who long for his appearing. Abraham's last mention. So as I was going through this and I realized we were going to transition from Abraham to Isaac, I want to know, if you just flip in your Bible, what's the last mention of Abraham? What's the last thing said about him in your biblical account? Now, this isn't chronological, but as the books in your, Bible, in your Bible are put there, and truly, this is the canon of Scripture. I'm not going to go into exactly how the Bible was put together. But from the first century to now, this is what they, this is what they had. Other books and other traditions were added to it called Deuterocanonical books. But this is the list, the 66 books of Scripture. So I was wondering, okay, what's the last mention we have in the Scripture as you flip, flip through it? 
Well, it'd be 1 Peter 3.6, but actually 1 Peter 3.6, while it mentions Abraham, it's actually about Sarah. I talked about that two weeks ago. The last actual mention pertaining to Abraham comes from James 2.23. James 2.23. Last thing said about Abraham in your Bibles. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, can you guess? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And here's the last. And he was called a friend of God. What do you want put on your tombstone? If you're around my age and you watch too much TV, you probably said pepperoni and cheese, you smart aleck. <laughs> but what do you want people to know from you? You know one thing, I, you know, above all things, when I'm laid to rest and I am in the, my Father's kingdom, if there's one thing I want on the lips and hearts of all who know me, I want that to be said of me. And he was known as a friend of God. In a Facebook post this morning, I saw Brent had mentioned one thing about his wife is that she loved Jesus with all of her heart. I think that's kind of the way we knew her as well, right? She was a friend of God. I, I don't want to be known as a, I don't want to be known eternally as a pastor, as a husband, Hopefully one day as a father, I want to be eternally known as a friend of God because there's nothing better to be said about you. You know, we look at great men from history like Alexander the Great, who might have a problem with pride since he was known as the Great. And all the things he did, nothing. means absolutely nothing. It's just dust in the wind. There was a, there was a statue that people believe to be Ramesses II, possibly the pharaoh under the exodus, oh, during the exodus. And his Greek name was Ozymandias. And this uh, poet, he wrote on this after he saw, um, as, he, as he saw the news article, because there was an inscription on it, and I'm probably not going to quote it perfectly, it's not in my notes, but it said, I am Ozymandias, king of kings. Look upon my works, ye mighty, and despair. And the poet the, uh, who had seen this, he's like, Yes, because mighty, look upon his works, they're just dust. But Abraham and all those of faith who put their trust in Jesus Christ, what you do really matters. He would be known as a friend of God. Chapter 25 is much about the death and funeral of Abraham. It's about generations. In Genesis chapter 17, when God promised Abraham, he said one of his promises, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Moses, the human author of Genesis by the power of the Holy Spirit, also wrote Psalm verse 90 in chapter 90 verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Chapter 25 is also the passing of one generation to another. Passing the baton. Abraham, his story on earth was done. Now is Isaac's turn. How will now Isaac speed the light to a new generation? Not all generations are the same. 
generation to generation, there are blind spots that another generation sees as clear. And every generation has the hypocrisy of judging the last generation for their blind spots. Completely blind to the blind spots that we have. In past generations, things like racism and slavery were a blind spot. In other generations, they had other blind spots. In generation X, for instance, the MTV generation, there was a blind spot seeing sex as nothing more than recreation. And one band from Generation X, the verb pipe, wrote the words, we never thought we'd die for these sins. Generation Y was during my teen years, and Generation X is the generation coming up. In past generations of America, slavery and racial prejudice were blind spots. There have been generations who believed, once again, that sex was simply another way of recreation, and we continue to reap the poisonous fruit from that. Abortion seems to be the blind spot in almost every generation. Even from the generations of the ancient world, they would sacrifice their children to demons. And currently, abortion continues to be a blind spot. Currently, the blind spot is any form of sexual perversion that the Bible says hurts the very heart of God is a blind spot to the point that even this last week in El Paso, Texas, there was a teacher who, if we're not caught on tape, would have continued to say this to her class, that they could not talk, they could not call pedophiles pedophiles, but maps, minor attracted persons, because that was, because that was being unfair or something to people who should be ashamed of themselves. Are you kidding me? Every generation has blind spots, but here's one thing between all generations is one, the human condition, that we are fallen people needing of a righteous God to save us. Two, human dilemmas. There is pain and suffering that is common to all people, but there is a divine solution that never changes. Even in Abraham's day, sometimes we get this confused. We think in the old covenant, they were saved from the blood of sheep and goats. No, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. They were also saved by faith. Right and wrong are, are right and wrong despite the generation. Just because one generation says what, is right and, it says what is right is wrong and wrong is right does not make it so. And God, the judge of us all, will continue to judge. Here's one thing that's true throughout all generations. The gospel. Jesus Christ died for sinners of whom I am the chief. God's plan for the family has never changed. We've been reading throughout the story of Abraham about dysfunction when you mess around with God's plan for the family. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Not men, not wives. One man, one woman in covenant under the love of Christ forever until death do they part. The need for personal holiness, the standard for personal holiness has not changed. Abraham, in our reading today, he has passed away. And you wonder, now what? Isaac, and after Isaac would be Jacob. After Jacob would be his 12 sons, and who are all collectively known as the patriarchs or his fathers. And you wonder, after the death of great people, you wonder, well, what now? Who will fill their place? Will anyone fill their place? 
It reminds me of this quote from William Shakespeare's Hamlet. He was a man, take him for all in all. I shall not look upon his like again. And that is kind of our tendency when somebody, especially somebody great in the Lord passes away. We wonder what now? Who will fill that position? We wonder maybe nobody will. Kind of like in Lord of the Rings, the blood of Numenor is all but spent. I remember hearing about, it was long after he had passed away, David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson was a pastor who preached with conviction. He proclaimed the word of God and he wasn't afraid to call out even things in our own movement that were anti-Christ, that other people were going after. And I remember when, he, when I heard he died, I remember thinking that very thing. I just watched Lord of the Rings and I was like, the blood of Numenor is all but spent. Will there ever be, will we ever see his like again? That is foolish talk because it wasn't Dave Wilkerson that made David Wilkerson preach the gospel with authority. It was his God. And the story of Abraham is not about Abraham. It's about Abraham's God. And what would he be known? Not as the father of nations, but as the friend of God. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, we have this dialogue between Christ and his disciples. And he asks them, who do you say I am? And they have different things. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you are Peter, which means a little stone. And he says, upon this rock, not talking about Peter, but Peter's confession that he's Christ, the son of the living God. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of, in many of our translations, hell will not overcome them. Now, if you are thinking hell as in the place of eternal torment, that is part of it, but it's not the whole of it. The word that is literally being translated there is Hades or Hades. And Hades is the Greek word for the general generic place of the dead. Other words in the scriptures like Gehenna and Tartarus would talk about the place of eternal torment. See, what is Christ is talking about here is generation to generation, God will bring up men and women of faith to lead the church. After the disciples die, then maybe they wondered, who will lead the church now? But men like Polycarp stood up. And when he was told, just pinch the incense to Caesar, proclaim him Lord of Lords and King of Kings, he told them, no, he'd rather burn. And he told them, the, the fire you burn me with today is nothing. It'll only last a day, but the fire you'll burn with will last for eternity. He says, is it proper to repent from the good to embrace the wicked or the other way around? It's an awesome story. I'm sorry, I'm kind of going off a rabbit trail here. But Polycarp, he was 86 years old and he had, he had some gusto. He had a, you know, you look at older people in the faith and some of them, they just have that thing of like, I'm not, I'm not worried about what people think anymore. So the prefect, when he is, he is questioning him because he's 86 years old and he's, t- he's telling him, hey, I've got wild beasts that can tear you apart. Polycarp said back to him, release them. I don't know if I would be that courageous. I think maybe there'd be some tears and I'm like, please don't, but I'm not denying Christ. He's like, do it then. He's like, oh, if you, dis- if you despise the beast, that's the words he uses. If you despise the beast, we have fire. And Polycarp's like, kindle it. Because he would not, there'd be nothing that would separate me. There's this incredible word, that's rec- this phrase that's recorded from him, his testimony. He says, 80 and six years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. What legacy are you leaving? 
Maybe you have kids, maybe you don't have kids. Some of you are pretty young here, and maybe you need to think about the legacy you're leaving, both good and bad. You will leave a legacy that starts now. What you are doing right now, and I'm speaking to everybody here, whether you have kids or not, you will hand to your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, but also to every person that interacts around you. You will encourage godliness in others, or you will encourage sin, particularly in church, but also beyond that. So while it's a longer introduction, it's going to be a shorter sermon because it's just over these 11 verses. And here's the late three legacies that Abraham left. A physical legacy, an inherited legacy, and a spiritual, sorry, a physical legacy, an inherited legacy, and a spiritual legacy. Verses one through four, a physical legacy. That's his children. The most obvious legacy a person has is that of a genetic legacy. I was at Becca's grandma's funeral not terribly long ago, and I looked out and I saw all these people. Now, Becca's dad, it's his dad's mom, and he was one of, I want to say 10 siblings, eight siblings. Man, that's a lot of kids, and man, they're not even Catholic. And um, I grew up Catholic, and that's a Catholic joke. That, uh... Anyway, um, eight, eight siblings, so there's tons and tons. And I thought about this during the funeral. All of these people came from her. Her and her husband, all of these people, grandkids, great-grandkids, um, cousins. And you know one thing nobody was talking about? Whether or not she was fashionable in her life. Not whether she was with it or hip. Or so many of the things we worry about, right, in our day-to-day life. What will people think of me? Well, here's the thing. We, we wouldn't worry so much about what people thought about us if we'd realize how little they do. And to realize, am I investing in the things that last or am I investing in things that are less than dust? It's sad to think that so many people, they forego the best things in life, the eternal things in life, to fret over dust. In verse 1, we see Abraham, after the loss of Sarah, he takes another wife. In an extreme old age, he takes another wife named Katara. And her name means literally the perfumed one. And, well, I've only, I don't think, I'm trying to think of like, the longest I've gone camping is maybe a week. You know what doesn't smell very nice within just one week of camping? Everything. Everything smells. Smells like a saloon. I'm sure it's very nice to have somebody who's a perfumed one. Um, Qatar means the perfumed one. And uh, I am sure that there was love and happiness even in this relationship Her name means to perfume one living in tents all your life. I'm sure it's nice to have someone who smells nice. There is some discussion over the verb here, whether it's it's took or had taken. Um, There's uh, people think perhaps it should be had taken, meaning that she was a concubine of his while Sarah was alive. And they just forgot to tell us that in the scripture account. They take this from 1 Chronicles 132, where it lists her as a concubine. But even later in this chapter, she's listed as a concubine after it says that she's his wife. It's very obvious in the scripture account. And most commentaries would agree with this as well, is that it was after the death of Sarah that he had taken this wife and bore children that they did not make the same mistakes with Hagar, with Qatar. We see here more children. Speaking of children and of the promise God, um, of God, this is being fulfilled. He is now truly the father of nations. You saw in here the names of these people, and you're like, those sound like names of nations. They are names of nations. The nations came from them, those, those individuals. Unfortunately, 
They are nations that would persecute Israel when they come back into the promised land. They become Canaanites. <coughs> um, so we wonder in this, well, was it, was, was it a mistake then for Abraham to have more sons, to have more children after Sarah? Absolutely not. We wonder why did God, did, why did God allow him to have other sons? Um, were they mistaken to do this? No. So let's talk about our perspective on children. Children are not amoral. They are a good, no matter what. Amen. Can I say that again? Yes. Children, having children is a good thing. Children are good. Not morally good in their very souls, but having children are good. It's a blessing from the Lord. It is never stated otherwise in scripture. Our perspective, not just in our time, but in so many other nations too, and other times, is that children are a burden or a parasite. Nothing could be further from the truth. And I believe that's a deception from the devil himself. Children are a benefit. They are a blessing. And they are a legacy, a physical legacy that you leave on. Maybe not the most important legacy, that of a spiritual legacy, but next to that, the most important position you have in this life is being mother and father. Like, as far as society goes, it is, it is on the shoulders of mothers and fathers who bring up the next generation. When you see videos of people acting stupid, I don't know about you, but my first reaction, especially when they're young people, where's their mother and father? Or I think their poor mother and father, this must be very embarrassing for them. I can't imagine the mother and father would be like, no, no, this is good, or I don't care. Next to making disciples, the most important job you have is mother and father, because you are bringing up a next generation. You are truly blessing the next generation or cursing the next generation by, the how, by how you raise this next generation. Inherited legacy is the second type of legacy, verses five and six. Verses five and six, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. So whether you like it or not, you have a physical legacy, a genetic legacy given to you by your parents. Um, then there is what your parents actually give you, an inheritance. This can, be given or, this can be given and it can be accepted or it can be rejected. Um, physical legacy you can, but other, other inheritances you can take or leave. And not all inheritances are given by, to blood relations. There are those we decide to leave a legacy to, an inheritance to, that are not related to us. And in times of Jesus Christ, people would literally adopt other adults so they could leave them an inheritance. Obviously, in our times, you don't have that. You want to give, you know, when you want to do estate planning, you want to give a third of your estate to the local animal shelter. No one's going to stop you from doing that. You don't have to be a blood relative of the director. You can do those things. In the times of Christ, though, people would literally... Uh, adopt adults. In fact, many of the Caesars, including Marcus Aurelius, was adopted by the previous Caesar because they would look at certain people and they'd say, you're the person to lead Rome after me. And they would choose that person. They would adopt them and they would give them this inheritance. When we look at the inheritance that Abraham gives to his children, we see it's not even and it's not, it's not even in fact, he only gives an inheritance to Isaac and just gives good gifts to the other sons. We look at that, maybe we think, that's not fair. It's not? Who makes these rules? Who decides what is fair? Is it fair? Is it right 
for Abraham to give the wealth that God had given him, not that Abraham made for himself, but God had given him to a generation of sons who would use it for nothing but wickedness. This is something to, to consider when you do estate planning. What state is some of those grandchildren or children in? Would giving them the inheritance actually destroy them or help them? He understood, truly Abraham understood at a very deep level that what he had was not his, but the Lord's. He was simply a steward of it. And he was given prophecy. He was given the word of the Lord that it would be Isaac who'd carry on the blessing after him. He does, however, in verse six, give good gifts. The other sons do not come away with nothing. He gave them good gifts. What they probably were were starter flocks, other materials to start their own families, their own tribes. And apparently it was enough. They become great nations in and of themselves. You might say here today, as I'm talking about this, Pastor Jason, I wasn't given anything. I had to work for everything I have. Well, I think that's true in a very real, in, a, in, a, in one sense. In another sense, as we think about how we haven't been given anything, have you ever met somebody with cerebral palsy? Oh, you've been given a lot. I don't care if your mom and dad were drug dealers and murderers and things like that. If you, I saw everybody here, you walked in. I didn't see any wheelchairs here today. You've been given a lot. He sends them away because he had already heard from God that it would be Isaac who, who is going to be blessed after him to carry on the promises of God. Here also, these sons are sent away. They're sent east, away from Isaac. The prophecy of Sarah still applies. These other sons will not share in the promise of the son born from the power of the Spirit. You can check out my sermon two weeks ago for the reasonings on that. Your inheritance. You have an inheritance too. Let's, let's talk, we already talked about physical inheritance, but you also have a metaphysical, you have a metaphorical inheritance as well. You were raised in someone's house. And whether they liked it or not, whether they realized it or not, there were things that they were teaching you. And here's something I want to tell you about this kind of inheritance before we talk about spiritual inheritance. You can reject an inheritance. You ever see those old black and white movies? Somebody hears, you know, from some lawyer that their great uncle twice removed, former roommate died, and they have this big old haunted house. And they can take purchase of this haunted house if they just spend one night there. And I remember watching these movies, even like as a kid, and I'm like, just say no. What are you going to do with a haunted house that people are terrified to spend one night and you're going to sell it? Just say no. Yet I know people who are like, well, my dad was an angry guy. And that's why I'm angry. Reject it. You don't need to take that inheritance. You know, the kings of, of Judah, they had this inheritance from one generation to another. And it would say, you, you, begin, your, you begin each king. And it says, they walked in the ways of their father. And that's, the, that's your cue. If it's their immediate father, you're like, oh, we're in for a ride right now. This is going to get interesting. Because their father before them walked in sin in the eyes of the Lord. So if they walked in that way, they would not have a very long tenure as king. Like I think one guy had like an afternoon. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not by much. But it'd say they walked in the ways of their father, David. Maybe today you feel like, oh, I'm under a curse. I'm under a generational curse because of my family. 
All curses are broken in Jesus Christ. There is a theology that has arisen up about generational curses that have nothing to do with scripture. I don't need to do some ceremony for you to cleanse you from a generational curse. You just have to choose to walk in the ways of your father who is in heaven, of your older brother, Jesus Christ. For the curse of of the law is broken in him. And even in the verse that talks about a generational curse, it says the blessings for the thousandth generation of those who love him. Even then, it was understood. You don't want to live that way, you don't have to accept that inheritance. Isaac, unfortunately, accepted part of the inheritance he should have rejected. And when we come to Isaac, we'll find out he, he does make the same mistake his father Abraham did. But there's also a spiritual legacy to be left behind, verses 7 through 11. At a funeral, someone usually, the pastor reads the eulogy, the record of the, de- of the deceased life. There's no eulogy here because the whole book to this point has been the eulogy. It has been the testimony. It has been the account and record of the life, not of a great man, but of a good God and a flawed man. Abraham's story isn't primarily about Abraham, but Abraham's God. And he left much more than a physical or an inherited legacy, but a spiritual legacy as well. In verse 7, we see the number of his years of his life, 175 years. That seems like a long time, right? His midlife crisis would be 87 and a half years old. I considered whether or not to ask somebody in the congregation about what their age is, but I'm not going to do that because I was going to say, you're mid-aged. You're, mid- you're, you're in your midlife right here, maybe. Before the flood, however, that seems like a very long time before the flood, it was a relatively, it was a paradise. And people routinely lived past 700, 800, and Methuselah lived to be 969 years. What I want to say about this in verse 8 is that Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, a man, an old man full of years. While part of that is about his literal age, the best part of it is not about his literal age, but how he lived. It was, it was how he lived that gave meaning to the phrase, a good old age, a man full of years. God promises this to Abraham in chapter 15, verse 15 of Genesis. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. This is the first time in the scriptures that has a reference to the afterlife. The afterlife being, being laid with his people. He's not, being, he's not going back to the Ur of the Chaldees. He's being buried in the plot of land in Machpelah that he had bought for Sarah. This is the generic place of the dead, not necessarily heaven or hell. That theology would be added to, and by the time of Christ, we'd have many different names for heaven and hell. But it's all the, it's all the same concept, that those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, and for Abraham, it was in ignorance, for us, it's in the knowing, will never be put to shame, and we will, we will dwell in our Father's house forever. Those who do not will get justice for what they've worked for. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, for he was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Verse nine, I've read verse nine so many times. I've read through the Bible many times. 
I'm always surprised at this part. Maybe you will be when I point something out. Verse 9, Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah. Ishmael? Didn't he throw Ishmael out and he was weeping and God's like, I hear you. You would think Ishmael, if if there's any son who has a right, especially one that maybe doesn't have the same perspective as we do thousands and thousands of years later, who'd be like, I'm not going to dad's funeral. It'd be Ishmael, right? We don't even really know much about Ishmael, right? God says he'll be a wild donkey of a man, constantly getting into fights. But here he is at the funeral of his dad. By the way, this picture behind me in Israel, it's called the Tomb of the Patriarchs. It's at least in Israel. I don't know if this is true. At least in Israel, this is what they say the cave of Machpelah is. So it is conceivable that this is where Abraham's bones are. You can imagine Ishmael coming here. And this is one thing we know about Ishmael in the positive. He honored his father. When I started this series, I named, instead of just saying Genesis or saying Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I named it patriarchs because patriarch means fathers. And in our current culture for quite a while right now, there has been a new religion that's been cropping up and the the devil of the new religion is the quote-unquote patriarchy. What is the patriarchy? Well, you got me. I've heard about 100,000 definitions and not a single one of them sounds like another one. It's just some, a way of people, you know what I think it is? I think it's a way of people not dealing with their frustration and their unresolved issues with their dad. That's what patriarchy means, rule of the fathers. This is a literal patriarchy because literally the fathers are in control of the tribe. I think there's a lot of issues and you know something in scripture really backs this up because when John the Baptist comes, you know one of the things he said? that he's come to turn the hearts of the fathers back towards the sons and the sons to their fathers. Many of you know this. I did not have much of a relationship with my dad. A lot of issues. I'm at my dad's grave this last Monday. And here's the thing. God brings peace, forgiveness, and restoration even to these kinds of things. If you have a, if you have a history with your dad, you, you probably do. But there'll come a point where you realize that you were not your mother or father's judge. You're just called to honor. And you can allow God to be the judge. One thing observant Jews will say when they hear of a death, they'll say it in Yiddish, but it means, blessed be the true judge. When you understand that, it frees you up to honor your father and mother. In verses 9 and 10, We have here a record of Isaac and Ishmael burying um, Abraham in this cave. During Abraham's life, he'd been promised the promised land. That's why we call it the promised land. The only portion that was his is where he is laying in in this chapter. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 and 16. It's talking about those of faith. This is you and me too. It's all those of faith of yesteryear and to come. It says this, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. 
But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has promised for them a city. He has promised for you a city. Are you living like a stranger in exile? Have you allowed so much of this world to get in the way? Even the promises of God, if we make them the ultimate thing above relationship with God, it's just another idol. And when Abraham took the son, his only son, whom he loved, when God told him, take him up to a hill that I will show you and sacrifice him. If his God was Isaac and the promise, he would have told God he could go pound sand. He has what he wants. Instead, he took his son his only son, to a hill that God had shown him. I'm not going to go through all this again. You can go back two weeks. I explain this in great detail. He took him to Jerusalem, to what was probably the hill called Golgotha in Jesus' time. And on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the symbol of suffering and shame. And it was on that old cross where the dearest and blessed for a world of lost sinners was slain. And our older brother Christ has gone to prepare a place for us, a city, a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called our God for he's prepared for us a city. In verse 11, we have the official baton handoff here and says that God blessed Isaac. Pastor Steve Lawson said, no leader can be effective without the hand of God upon them. Even great leaders who achieve great worldly success are dust unless the hand of God is upon them. Isaac, the son born from the power of the spirit, is an example for us of of our freedom in Christ because his hand is on us as well. Worship team, would you come up at this time? As they come up and lead us in our final song. As we reflect on the scripture, and I just want to repeat that. If you're in a time of mourning, the the arms of God are around you and it's okay to mourn. It's okay to weep. I also want to stress, what legacy are you leaving right now? I speak to every single one. Even our younger people who are here, what legacy are you leaving? Are you being an example for your friends? A good example? When Paul was uh, writing to Timothy, he tells him, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. He does not say, you tell them not to look down upon you because you're young. He says, don't let them look down upon you because you are young. Set the example. Set the example that starts to produce in you a pattern of behavior that glorifies God, that links you in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and then you start developing legacy after you. Me and Becca, we don't have a physical legacy in having children, but I went back to my hometown, it's been 20 years, and I went down those halls and I was thinking about all the people I shared Jesus Christ with, and I know, I know that not a single word will be lost to time. I was looking at the, um, I was looking at the, uh, those pictures that show your graduating, graduation picture. And um, some of you are kind of smiling because in high school I had long hair. I don't know why. 
I just did. I look at it, I'm like, I just want to break this or steal it. Because I know, you know what happens? My niece told me this, my youngest niece who graduated, is that they'll be going through the hallway, and uh, her friends will be like, isn't that your uncle? (laughs) 20 years ago. Okay, and I didn't think I made much of an impact, but I did. Because every word, every glass of water I shared in Jesus Christ had an eternal impact and whether people remembered it or not, or like, is that your uncle? It doesn't matter. We leave a legacy. Are you leaving a legacy? Are you investing in things that matter? 